Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today we have Genevieve Fordham. She's a mortgage broker. She specializes in first home buyers. And we're just going to pick her brain and give you a little bit of an update. Welcome back to the show, Genevieve. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Not too shabby. Welcome, Sup, John? Genevieve. Thank Hi, you. Hi, Glenn. How are we? Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Should be up and about. Yeah. Okay. So, welcome, Genevieve. Thank you. Um, Glad to be back. Yeah. You haven't been on this year. I haven't. What I thought I would do is get Jill back on the podcast to do a bit of a first home owners or first home buyers update, a bit of a chat about this. Um, I will let everybody know that the M3 Express or M3X is now live. So, How's it going? Oh, mate, breaking the interwebs. Is it? Yeah, so we launched with an episode a day and then this week we're on to now three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, if you've got any little topics you want me to cover, we'll do that. Yep. But they're little five-minute grabs and uh, pockets of information that are um, just to the subject title Mm. not long form like this so it's the podcast for the podcast and if you haven't already you can catch me on your money live on thursday nights from about 6 30 p.m and that's live on 201 on foxtel yeah no look at you go well mate what what can i say yeah (laughs) you know it's a natural it's just weird because you know i'm sitting there with like good looking people on tv and then they (laughs) wheel me in (laughs) it's like (laughs) Um, and then it's on Channel 95 free-to-air. Um, mm. And they, when I first went on, they said, oh, do you have any TV experience? Because I think they were a bit hesitant to see who they would let on the yeah. camera. And I'm like, oh, I know, but I can talk to people. <laughs> i got a good head for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm on there weekly if you want to check that out. And that's an online uh, li- – it's on online live stream as well. Um, so, it's a 24-hour money mm. business channel. Um, so, that's cool. You're listening to My Millennial Money. At My Millennial Money, we believe real wealth lies within. But good luck paying for a house or a car with that. (laughs) I I just wanted to chat with Genevieve about, well, and John and everybody listening, about the importance of using a mortgage broker as opposed to just going down to your local bank and walking in and letting the bank, the first bank, putting an application in and being your Mm. mortgage person. So, can you give us an example that's happened recently, Jell, where it's actually could have been a very different outcome if the individuals did not go to a mortgage broker like yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So, I had a client recently um, wanting to buy a property with a parental guarantee. Um, We got two valuations, which came in 90,000 less than the third valuation, which made it 
possible for the clients to be able to move forward and buy a house, get mm. into the market. Mm. So, I guess for anyone listening, and I'll just make numbers up, round numbers, um, you've gone to three different banks because yep. you can order a valuation from whatever lender you like yep. to just see what we're dealing with. So, the first two have you know, said, yeah, it's worth 600000 for example. And then the third one said, oh, no, we only think it's worth five hundred for yep. example. So, that's a real big issue. And what – how – like, just talk us through, um, you know, because it would have been on knife's edge for a while there. Was yeah. It the, was the valuation – was the first valuation – you got the low one or do you just as a rule of thumb like to get at least two? Um, so, yeah, generally I get two. Um, and then if that's not the outcome that we want, we tend to go for more. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just I think it's also the valuers as well. Um, are they experienced? Are they coming from Sydney? Are they based on the Central Coast? Sure. Are they based in Newcastle? It's a, a lot of different things. Like how does three valuers um, mm. sort of in the same role get mm. different results? Mm. And and I guess it speaks to like, so for example, wherever you are in Australia, if you're in Melbourne uh, or if you're, because we're an hour north of Sydney, um, if, you're a, if you are an hour north of Melbourne or an hour, hour north of Perth or Adelaide or wherever, are the valuers local to that area who really know or are they dropping in for the day and doing a couple and getting the heck out of there yeah yeah look uh, it's not uh it's not news to my ears i see it all the time but i think that you've um nail on the head there with in regards to is the value a local are they experienced um, um but also what's the buyer sentiment at the moment as well It'd be interesting to see if those three valuations 12 months ago uh, were any different to that because they're jumping out of bed saying, well, the market's going pretty well now. We can stick our neck out a little bit. Uh, but the the issue I see with that is a lot of clients that get a low valuation think, especially when they're buying a property, think, oh, if it's come in below purchase price, am I paying too much for the property? Yeah, I agree. Right. Now, the unsophisticated investor would say, well, yeah, I'm out of here because that person said that that property's worth 30 grand less than what I'm going to pay for it. Mm. But we know through experience that that's not normally the case. But the, the reference there is to make sure we do our research to know what we should be paying for the property. And is there a rule of thumb where generally the banks, will, um, the valuers will be conservative for the banks. So, they might be 20% lower than what you could actually sell it for on market. Yeah, I find, I don't know about you, Genevieve, but I definitely find if I get an agent's appraisal or two or three agent's appraisals and say three valuations, that all the valuations by the valuers will be lower than what the real estate agent says, regardless of whether the real estate agent is buying, trying to buy or sell the property themselves. Yeah, they're a bit more conservative, which is their job. Yeah. They're working for the bank, so yeah. they want to lower the risk. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's becoming a little bit more common where it's stopping people from being able to get into the market or buy something that they want to buy um, just purely based on evaluation and, and i guess the banks they are conservative so for example if the property's um 
are on the market for say I'll just make a number up around here five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, um, which you that's what you buy it for. The market could reduce, and six months later the property could be worth five hundred thousand. Now the banks will always value lower, so if there is an issue and someone couldn't pay their mortgage in six months' time, the banks know at least that we've only kind of assessed our risk ratings based on that lower portion of 500. So if the crap hit the fan, the bank can go in and sell it at the time Mm. and then recoup their money, even if the property has uh, reduced in value. And the other part of it, if I was a valuer, either working for a valuation firm or have my own company, I'm very open to litigation from the banks. Like absolutely, they're they're running scared, especially in the last two or three years, where with with finance conditions tightened, the banks are putting a whole lot of pressure on them. If they come back twelve months later and say, "Well, you valued at this, but it was should have been actually this," then that could be the valuation company's career over. Mm. I actually had a, a valuer up at my place oh, a couple of years ago. I got it valued at six months and then in a in another six months and the market had moved and thankfully it was the same lady mm. who did it last time <laughs> and i was just chatting with her and she knew that i was in finance and all that and i'm like oh look can you she goes oh, i'll just i'm not allowed to talk to you but i'll just do it the same <laughs> as what i did last time so, yeah. so it's you know i and i've jokingly said to them valuers i'm like oh Will it help if there's an envelope on the counter? <laughs> but no, they, um, they don't And take. some nitpick things. So um, what's also important in evaluation is like risk ratings, environmental ratings, um, and those sorts of things can determine if a client can even move forward with that property as well. Mm. And also if things need fixing. Yeah. So yeah. if they can see that things aren't fixed or touched up or whatever, they... Mm generally will decrease that value and the the clients that you were speaking about so they obviously had good enough incomes to service a loan um they may or may not have had some good did they have their own savings on the Mm -hmm. site yet so they had good savings and for them they were ready to buy their first home that they want to live in i'd imagine yep and so the difference is their parents have said oh hey we're obviously not moving anywhere so you can put a small portion of our property up Mm. as as a security deposit now, if that value did come in low and if the parents did have a mortgage, that deal could have been off for your clients. Yep. So, again, it just reinforces the fact that Genevieve or any decent broker will actually look at the, the lay of the land mm. and get some information and say, look, we've got the best chance of getting this deal through with this bank here or this lender here mm. without... Um, so, you, for example, like if... I'll just step back. If you took your clients, if you weren't a mortgage broker and these clients came into that branch and they did formally apply, they would uh, put an inquiry on your credit. Mm. And at that point, the deal could have fallen over. And generally, lenders in branches do put inquiries in before they get the valuations. Wow. Anyway, so to pre-approve them income-wise. Wow. So we just waited until we knew exactly where we were going to go. So that's only one hit on the credit file. And yeah, and that was the the actual application that's legitimate and we don't yeah. need to apply to three other lenders yeah. and have three other inquiries on your credit. Yeah, and that that's the massive positive I see in, in a mortgage broker structure is, is they can 
play the game and and look at different institutions whereas you go and have a coffee with the local westpac bank manager and let's get a application in and then mm. the last thing that's done is the valuation, valuation yeah. yeah and it, you're too far down the track to pull back out yeah so whereas you're basically saying genevieve reverse engineer it get some valuations first let's do all our research and then maybe choose the lender based on the the right valuation yeah and generally the if overall you're going, strategy yeah well generally if you're going to a good a broker um they should pretty much have every bank upfront valuations for free so there's no cost to that client mm. yeah you probably put out say three to five working days waiting for the reports to be yeah. done and come back but it saves your credit file it saves you getting information ready for another lender that you technically may not be going to um so yeah it just saves a lot of time money Mm. and yeah, yeah credit inquiry so for the for the listener uh the the valex valex system is commonly what's used by most lenders isn't it yeah so that's correct can you just quickly explain how that works for each lender yeah so each lender we have our own logon id for that lender so say commonwealth bank um and then we put in all the property details contact details um and then once we submit that it randomly picks a valuer in your location so we can't choose who that's going to be um we don't even know as a broker who that is until we get person is yeah until we get the report back so and obviously that's so we don't call them and ask them to do a certain favor um it's just they come back to us and then that's when we know the value like who the valuer is Mm. so it's very random selection you can get the same valuer for the three banks that you ordered the valuation with so Mm. so that yeah there still is a bit of chance involved but still a better chance than going to the one bank yeah yeah you're just keeping more of the control in your hands than than the lenders aren't you yeah Yeah. absolutely now just a a bit of it before we get into uh listeners questions about first home buyers and it's, it's been in the back of my mind, um, and I'll ask Genevieve a simple question first, then I'll go to John. Do you do many parental guarantees for people buying an investment property? Yes. Okay. I do. More than first home buying? Um, no. no. I wouldn't say more than first home buying, um, but it is quite common. Mm. Um, obviously, depending on the state, you're paying stamp duty, um, those sorts of things but lately i have done um some parental guarantees for clients who already have an investment property but they don't have enough equity there sure and some lenders are allowing them to use their parents to buy another owner occupied property yeah so there's lots of different scenarios Mm. and it's saving them twenty five thousand dollars in mortgage insurance Mm. so in that instance they were buying their principal place residence after already having owned an investment they property. They still have that investment property. Yeah. Yep. So, but do you see them buying an investment property with the parental guarantee, not nothing to do with their principal yep. place? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, guess. as long as it's still your first home. So, even a lot of banks are quite strict. If it's not your first home, then they're a little bit hesitant for you to then buy an investment. With yeah. the parental guarantee. Yeah, but if it's yeah. your first ever property and you want to do it as an investment Mm. definitely so i guess this side of the fence and jill and i sitting on one side of the table and we'll just call it the um 
is it possible side of the fence? And mm. we can categorically say, yes, it is. My question to John um, is, what's your advice to somebody who may be just renting at the moment and want to go down the, the road of the quote-unquote rent vest, for example, mm. and rent where they want to live, whether it's in the city, on the beach, or whatever, where they can't afford to buy and do their investing elsewhere and buy their first property, not as a principal place of residence, but as an investment property, would you be taking your clients or do you think people should be using parental guarantee for their first investment property and why? Yeah, good question. We, we actually covered this of, in... Uh, <laughs> I thought about it this morning. I'm like, that's an interesting question. In detail, I was in Adelaide last week talking to a group of athletes and sure. one of them had already done that they their first property was uh was parental guarantee and and their second one was actually parental guarantee because their partner did the same thing so they got two properties both used them and uh, we went into a bit of detail about that Um, and i always look at it there's three ways we can get into property we can use our own cash or equity what about the front door with the key is that a way to get into property Depends if it's legal or not. <laughs> I'm just being hilarious. <laughs> Ordinary. Sorry, there's ways there's, to get in. Yeah. There's the chimney, so you can go down. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then if you lock yourself out, there's the window. Yeah, okay. No, so cash or equity with your own money. Yeah. Uh, second option is joint venture, which you love, which is going 50% or, mm-hmm. or equivalent percentages with, um, with someone else, and which is still putting up your own cash or equity or at least servicing. And the third option is the parental guarantee or, or guarantor. Yeah. Right? Now, in my view, I don't mind using any of those three as long as people understand the risks. And have an overall strategy. Correct. Yeah. Not just waking up one day and saying, right, there's an auction on the weekend. I love the look of that yeah. house. Two hours north as an investment property. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go and buy it. Um, we'll work out the logistics later. Mum and dad, can you cover me on this one? Yeah. And then it all goes pear-shaped because mum and dad weren't on the same page as mm. young Jimmy and uh, something goes wrong or I've paid too much for it or I've lost my job and all of a sudden mum and dad's house is at risk. Mm. That's a um, just made me think of something. So a lot of lenders um, still do parental guarantees, but they take interest in the parent's whole property. Oh, as opposed to the... As opposed to a limited guarantee. A so percentage. Yeah, so wow. you want to make sure and some lenders you your broker actually has to put in the notes that they want it to be a limited guarantee, not just a parental guarantee. Um, So then it only takes technically about 20 to 25% of the equity, Mm. not interest in the whole property. So I'll use an example. So if somebody was buying a $500,000 investment property north of Brisbane or whatever, and they didn't have a 20% deposit Mm. or or $100,000, the parental guarantee ordinarily would put the parents on the hook for the hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and if the and for if the crap hit the fan up in Brisbane, they sold the property and the market wasn't that bad, so they sold it for four hundred and eighty thousand, and there was a, a twenty thousand dollar hole. 
the parent's responsibility is now $20,000 and they can either write a check mm. and get rid of that problem or the bank will then sell the parent's home to get the $20,000 out. Yeah. So the maximum risk that the parents would have in that situation would be $100,000. But what Jill's saying is there's these uh, full guarantee where the, parent, uh, where the bank, even if the parent's property is worth a million dollars, are putting a mortgage over the whole million dollars. Yeah. But sorry, just to correct you, sure. if a client is 20000 short after yeah. they sell, they owe the bank, the parents have the option to pay that 20000 over 30 years. So they won't sell oh. the parents' property. Oh, so they'll remortgage the parents. Yep, for 20000 And okay. it will probably be at some ridiculous default rate and yeah. whatnot. But essentially the parents are still on the hook. They're still liable, yeah. but yet they. But if it wasn't a limited guarantee, then, then that's when they can... Far out, mm. yeah. So, so you want to make sure the minimal risk for your parents is that it is a limited guarantee. And do you have a responsibility as a broker to sit down, obviously, with the parents? Yep. Um, and you would do you do meetings just with the parents only, yep. without so the it, children? It depends, um, and it depends on what the parents are comfortable with. Um, some lenders also advise that they get legal advice. Sure. Um, but I literally go through a list of questions that parents don't like to ask but i mm. just answer them anyway what if something happened to us yeah um what if something happened to one of us um what happens if they want to sell um what happens if their siblings also want to buy property mm. um so there's lots of questions that come up and i think that it, we it'd answer. be important like if you are approaching your parents what about you actually have some thought and say look we know this is a big deal We've seen Glenn or whatever in a financial advisor and we've got our income insurance protected. So if we are off work sick for a long period of time, we can continue yeah. with our mortgage repayments. So we are having an emergency fund. Yeah. Uh, we are clearing our credit card debt. Like it's not and it goes back to if you do have any kind of credit card debt, personal loan debt, and you can't keep current on your current bills, you can't you shouldn't be buying a house anyway, parent guarantee or not. No, mm. but the but the issue is is mum and dad get involved emotionally because they want to help their son and daughter out. Correct. Sure. And they, if they're ill-informed themselves, then that's when we can run into major issues. Mm. Now, mm. I think it's it's like you've almost got to put a business plan towards your mum and dad to say, well, this is how we can go about it. And, and that's and what I was saying. Numbers. It's like, look, this is how we can go about it. We've got our own protection in place. So mm. if the crap did hit the fan, yeah, we don't have a $100,000 deposit, but we've got thirty grand that will be on an emergency fund. Um, yeah, you know. or even you can contribute those savings Absolutely. to sort of reduce the parent's risk. Yep. Um, a lot of my clients, we sit down and work out, okay, so – over the next three years, our goal is to pretty much almost have that guarantee released, mm. but purely based off them paying extra off their mortgage. And I guess a cleaner way might be, and, I, and this is why you need to see a broker, have everybody in the room, maybe that's the parents refinancing their property and having a small $80,000 mortgage and gifting you the money. Yeah, you and can do you that. And then you can pay that back as a priority. Yeah. I, and that's cleaner. much prefer yep. that yeah the issue that may arise is that mum and dad can't get the equity out because of their age or income on blah, income. blah blah yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh yeah in the instance of the adelaide clients last week they 
they had it paid back within 12 yeah. months and yep. it worked so we magnificently. Have, yeah, you can fix a portion that's going to be your 80% of what the property's worth and yep. then leave that 20% variable and the goal over the next three years isn't to go on nice holidays or mm-hmm. have a baby. It's yeah, to it's, yeah, reduce our, that our, our, to have your parents release before you do take yeah. on more risks. And I, I would say, like, don't be under any illusion that – you may have a parental guarantee over the property for more than 10 years. Mm. Like if the markets are flat. Yeah, it's, there's no time frame. Yeah. It's it like depends on. Property doesn't always go up. Mm. Like it's coming off at the moment in some parts in Australia. So don't be under any illusion. Now, did you want to finish your little um, thingy, John, about, you know, so you're basically saying you're in favor of anyone moving forward with property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this instance, my question to you was the investment side. Yeah. I'm okay for first home to live in, whatever. Yeah. I'm less okay um, as your first property being an investment property if you don't have the strategy in place and everyone's informed. Otherwise, if yeah. you want to invest, bloody go get a share portfolio and pump it monthly. Yeah, that's without right. Without tying up your parents. I, and, and this is personally speaking, I'd be, from an investment purpose, maybe more inclined to go joint venture than I would parental guarantee. As right? in your parents own half. Yeah. And you yeah. own the other half. Yeah. Yeah. And that way there's skin in the game from both sides. Sure. And it's not all, I'm going to borrow from mum and dad and then the, the rest will sort itself out. Mm. I mean, either way, you need a solid strategy to, to mm. begin with and you know your long-term outcomes yeah. um, and, and everyone's on the same page and it's well documented as well as you know you, your mum and dad. They're like a business partner in this instance and it needs to be addressed that way. Yeah. Okay, we're going to move to some questions now. Um, Katie on Instagram has asked, because I put a little story up before we were, uh, started recording today, Financially better, first home, build or buy? Uh, it comes back to the area. Strat- strategy. Like yeah. um, there's a, the whole range of things that need to be cleared before yeah. build or buy. I mean, from a first homeowner's perspective, in most states, it's more attractive to build because of the, the or, 10K kicker. Or do what I did without all the drama of building and managing it myself. Mm. I purchased a property straight from the builder first one to live in turnkey mm. uh, and i got the first homeowner's grant and i didn't pay stamp duty so i didn't actually have to engage the house and land or the developer mm. or the builder yeah. and choose tile colors and all that crap which i couldn't be bothered doing yeah um so. yeah and the earlier you get in on the process usually better the outcome financially yeah, yeah. but yeah it, it comes back to someone's risk profile um mm. don't just go and build for the sake of a 10 grand kicker that from the government uh, when it could be costing you 80 grand more yeah anyway. well, it, could, it could it's definitely an effective strategy but um yeah and it depends to. where sure. as well yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh jen asks how to keep first home as an investment when you're ready to buy again upsize do we need to save another deposit or can we use equity how will the banks look at this or judge this uh first mortgage balance when we're getting a second yeah, good. Well, I'll, I'll talk from a strategy point of view, sure. Jen. You can talk about lending. Yeah. Um, firstly, great idea. Be able to go and buy again after having their first property is a fantastic idea as long as you've got the equity in there. Um, and what is equity? 
So equity, there's usable equity and there's equity. And I'll just, like anyone listening, I actually know I'm just doing leading questions. No, it doesn't. Glenn doesn't actually know. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so if the property is worth 500000 and your loan on that property is 400000 the equity amount is 100000 Sure. But you can't go and use that whole 100 No. Right? So you can borrow up to 80% in most cases of that equity amount. So 500 times 80%. When I went to school, was four hundred thousand. Do you want me to check the calculator? If you want, yeah. <laughs> no, that's just Minus your debt <laughs> no. is four hundred thousand. So the yeah. usable equity in that case is actually zero. Sure. Right now, general talk about the servicing and all those sort of things for the second property. But if you're saving for that second property using cash, how long is that going to take you? Preferred option is using equity but the equity's got to be there in the first place mm, mm. yeah do you want to add anything to it yeah so and it i also, guess for, like how do the banks look at that or judge you yeah i don't it's not an uncommon or bad situation at all um it just depends whether it's viable based off your rental income um do you have any personal debts your equity um your savings your spending history um, so there's a lot of factors to that, but I guess that's where a mortgage broker comes into play because um, one lender may say it doesn't work and then mm. another lender may say that it does. So, and yeah, I guess as far as it out. the banks are concerned, whether it's you've saved up money or there's equity, they actually don't care where it comes from as long as you've ticked the box that there's security and there's income. Yeah. And that's for the broker to build the story. Yeah. Okay, another question. Just before we go on, and that's a really important point because in the last two years, that's tightened dramatically, hasn't it? Massively. With with most lenders. So going to that broker is a a no-brainer in my mind because there has to be – it's going to be – your situation is going to be critiqued out a lot more closely than it was two years ago when now they're trying to find out where you bought your your last coffee. And I would say if you are going to – the second property, um, I would recommend you not cross collateralize. What you- collateralize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. You not cross collateralize um, because it's just it, essentially when you cross collateralize, you're basically um, piling up all your equity into one application as opposed to having two separate standalone applications so property a and property b standing alone separately some banks and brokers get lazy and will just put it all on the one application yeah it also depends on the client as well sure um i mean i do that um but not for every client um but an example like a client that could have worked for that client five years ago and it sat fine but now when they're wanting to move on to a next step or whatever, some of their properties have gone down and they're relying on other homes' equity to build that, that property up. Which may be so, pulling it. You may yeah. have to pull it. So, yeah. But we can go through all scenarios. So it may get to the crunch factor that you can't keep that investment yeah. and we give you that next scenario of what your next home loan is going to look like and then we have a five-year goal or a three-year goal as to to get you back into the market for an investment property. Sure. But back to that initial question from the listener, if it was a case of, well, I've got no equity and I've got no cash, but if I sell the property, I'll have a deposit 
for another property, yeah. I would say in most cases stay as is mm. yeah. because it's an the transaction, transaction. cost mm. will kill that. Hey, I know I crap on all the time about getting our foundations in place, but our personal protection plan is something you need to do today. I know many of our listeners have got this set up, but if you're one of them and haven't already, go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'll put you in touch with someone who can guide you through. Generally, there's no cost to have an initial chat. And if you're young, fit and healthy, you need to get this stuff in place today. If you've got a family and you're not covered, hey, what if you freaking died? I'm not messing around. You need to get insured. Do it. Do it now. And anyone that I refer you to will do it the same way that we teach and we talk about here. And that advice provider, wherever you are in Australia, are happy to have a complimentary discussion with you at no cost to see where you're at and see if they can help. So what have you got to lose? Have a chat today. Jump on to sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. The next question written down is from Jazz. She says, questions about first home buying in more detail. What are the fees and costs to consider when buying property? Mm. So, is there a blanket percentage that we can loosely use? Based I always on the- use, so if you're a first home buyer, you don't pay stamp duty. Um, but generally- Depending where you are. Is that everywhere in Australia at the moment, John? Uh, it is, um, as long Up as you obviously threshold. live in it and, and follow months. the rules. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, up to the threshold. Yeah. Generally, we'll just say six fifty. Six hundred, yeah, six fifty. If there's yeah. enough equity some. for a buffer, I generally use about five percent either way. So five sure. percent to sell and five percent to buy. So if I'm buying my first home and it's five hundred, six hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars times five percent, that's thirty grand of costs. Yeah. Now those costs might include um, agents' fees if you're selling. Yeah. Um, some agents' fees, but if you're buying. Um, stamp duty. Well, stamp duty is exempt if you're a first-home buyer. Um, I think it's a good guide to have up your sleeve anyway if mm. you don't have to pay yeah. stamp duty. Yeah, absolutely maximum, wouldn't it, 5%? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. it's like, capping, but yeah. it's leaving that buffer because, mm. yeah, you just so never know. So, your conveyancer or solicitor, it might be a, grand. a thousand, two grand. Yeah. Um, you've got to do your pest and building inspection, which could be, you know, $500. Your moving. Moving costs. So... Yeah, I think you just need space. A lot of those costs, if you do have to pay a lender's mortgage insurance, that wouldn't include that, but you can borrow that cost anyway. Um, so, yeah, the other fees and costs when buying a property, um, that's probably your conveyancing, uh, moving. I would consider if you have to have a crossover period of paying extra rent. Mm-hmm. Um, or cancelling it early. Or cancelling so. early or something like that. There, that could be a legitimate cost that you need to think about. Mm. And going back to the build versus buy existing, yeah. um, the stamp duty is dramatically different. Sure. Like mm. you've, if you buy uh, land. Your stamp duty is only payable on the land component when you build. Mm. Um, if you're not a first-time buyer. If you're not a first-time buyer. Yeah. So, um, but in saying that, you've got holding costs for when you do build. So, sure. in that case, one would weigh the other out. Mm. Yeah. So, that's right. So, if you borrow $300,000 to buy a block of land... And you've got to wait for the home to be built before you can move into it for six to nine months. Mm. You've got to pay a mortgage on that three hundred grand while you're renting somewhere mm-hmm. else, mm. unless you can move back in with the rentals or do something like that um, in the interim. Mm. This question here, it's it's kind of like the one we answered the other day. I think his name was Hayden, and this is from Callum. I'd like to repay my mother for bankrolling me for the past twenty one years. So I was considering sometime in the next few years 
buying a house for her to pay little rent in, it would be my first home purchase. Hayden. No, Hayden. it's Callum. Callum. Yeah. Hayden was the other guy. All Hayden. these young guys who are very compassionate. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's, it's uh, very noble of them, isn't it? Mm. Don't do it. No. No way. Uh, no. You're, uh, you're, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. You need to get maximum rent. You're in the early stages. If, you, if you're passionate about helping your mother out, see what she's passionate about and you can repay her in other ways. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. I mean, you just... I'll, I'll crap on again like I did the last time. Like, you've got a responsibility to now set up your own life. Um, you need to set things up. So, if situations change no one's held ransom to each other. Mm. And if you're uh, married at the time or, you know, have children and you've got this property and you can't kick mum out because whatever reason, yeah. uh, you could be bleeding thousands and thousands of dollars a year that um, could be used for your own family's welfare. Um, hey, maybe later on down the track, it might be a viable option that you just keep saving and literally do a granny flat and have your mum live there and pay yeah. a little bit of rent and babysitter. I don't know. That's an option. And there's certainly for your mother, depending on her age, some um, Centrelink and aged care advantages in the later years mm. uh, for doing that. But yes, there is. as a rule of thumb, just build wealth for yourself. The more wealth you have built for yourself, the more chance you can help other people. Yeah. If, if the, the question Callum needs to ask is, do I need rent from that property? Yeah. Yes or no? If the answer to that is no, then put her in there and live happily ever well, after. Well, it's like the income insurance argument where people go, I don't want income insurance. I'm like, oh, so you're just working because you want, you just have fun working, you're doing it for the something to do and social benefit. Mm. And if the answer is, yes, I'm only working because I need something to do and I've got $5 million over there and I don't yeah. need money, you don't need insurance, don't need insurance. But you only have income insurance to protect something that you need. Mm. And if you need your income, it has to be insured. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that, there were some cool questions there. John, do yep. you want to have a look at some reviews? I have got a few reviews just here in front of me. Uh, we have the first one is from Searching for Hurt. Making money fun. Good balance between useful financial tips and banter. Keep up the good work. Is that a five star? That is five stars. Love it. And that was on iTunes through <clears throat> Apple, everyone. If you want to leave us a nice little review, we'd love you forever. And another five star. Love it. Love this podcast. Can't recommend it to people enough. Getting a handle of money issues I had no idea about. The income insurance has never been so fun or easy. Thanks, guys, by Alex Trinder. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Alex. And there's one here by JS1199. It's five star. Love the content and the banter. People Good like banter. the banter. Yeah. They love the banter, Joel. They do. Do you like the banter? I love the banter. <laughs> do you even listen to our show anymore? I do. Oh. I do. <laughs> you do? I probably haven't listened to the last few, but yes, yeah. I do. In principle? So yes. as a embedded millennial, mm-hmm. you don't really have too much commute time, do you? I don't. So when, when do you listen lucky. to podcasts? I go to Newcastle a few times a week. Oh, yeah. Um, or exercise. Oh, yeah. When I'm Podcast. working out. Imagine um, 
exercising to my voice. <laughs> I am sorry, everybody. But it could just be like a war. Yeah. Like not when I'm yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to do something motivating. Intense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, lol. Okay. Um, let's get out of here. Thanks for coming back, Jill. Thanks, Jill. Thank where you. can people reach you? Yeah, um, so you can reach me on the Sphere Finance Instagram page, which is just Sphere Finance, um, or our Sphere Finance Facebook, um, or you can find us on our website, which is www.sphereFinance.com.au. Yeah, so and Gel's helped a lot of our listeners um, who are first-time buyers. Just so if you want to start the conversation, reach out. You are you're traveling a little bit in the next few months. So we're still available. Yeah, you're still available. Where are you going? I'm going to America to Coachella. Oh wow. Um, and then I'm also going to Europe for a month. Wow. I'm just spending all my money. Hey, what else can you do with it? Yeah. You uh, you buy an experience. Well, that's right. Buy experience is not things, but Jill actually does have her own home. I do. So she's walked the shoes. She's walked the all that crap. So, yeah. All right. Thanks for coming in and we'll catch you guys soon. See ya. Bye. If you are after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. In fact, it's a general advice podcast. But if you do want somebody to talk to, jump onto sortyourmoneyout.com and click on get help and I'll be able to put you in touch with an advisor or a mortgage broker who can actually sit down with you or have a Skype or a Zoom meeting and really work out what you need based on your own personal circumstances. Remember, we hang out on Insta at My Millennial Money. If you're a regular listener, you're welcome to join our Facebook group. If you want more money hacks, be sure to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express. It's short money hacks anywhere, anytime, right into your ears. Any advice in this podcast is of a general nature only and has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. Please seek personal advice prior to acting on this information. Before making a decision to acquire a financial product, you should obtain and read the product disclosure statement relating to that product. Opinions constitute our judgment at the time of issue and are subject to change. Neither the licensee, any of the National Australia Group of Companies, nor their employees or directors give any warranty of accuracy nor accept any responsibility for errors or omissions in this podcast. Glenn James, Urban Ghetto Project Limited, trading as Sort Your Money Out, are authorised representatives of Apogee Financial Planning Limited, AFSL 230689. Okay, quick question first. For me? I was, do you know how I saw you riding the other morning? Yes. So, I'm doing my normal Sunday morning bike ride, okay? Saturday, wasn't it? Whatever it was. Yeah. Like, and I'm the type that's just, you know, I don't have a $7,000 bike like John. (laughs) I've just got like a mountain bike that I ride on the footpath and all that. Um, Anyway riding home casually and this guy comes fanging down the road and I'm like, oh, it's John. So, you, where did you ride to? It was 120 kilometers this guy did. Where'd you go yeah. up to? I uh, yeah, went head to Newcastle way. Wow. Swung around to Swansea or somewhere there. Wow. Do you ever get scared out there? It's a bit dangerous <laughs> on the road. No. I was riding with someone. I was just the last five or six K that I right. did by myself. Yeah, yeah okay. So. And so, my main question is, so, you're, I think you're a well-balanced person. So, you've got good fitness and exercise regime. You're an Ironman. You've got a good family life. 
you're very patient, you're a nice guy. <laughs> Giving him where's, a rap. Where's yeah. this going? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, like, so, where's the punchline? Uh, yeah. Wealthy, well, all that. Like, so yeah. I, I actually want to know, what would Amy say are your downsides or faults because i can't oh, see any there's many there's <laughs> like many. are you like <laughs> behind closed doors there's many <laughs> like look at him this guy's like bloody i don't know the second coming nah no, um, definitely no nah, we've all got our faults what, what would you say your biggest thing that you always is a bit of a issue for you because i've got a million um mm, no, but i you don't, don't think you got too many um so like i'm really impatient for example yeah yeah and i yeah so what yeah. like what would you say you're just we just want to know that you're human john no look the biggest fault at home i would have to say i don't listen right yeah so and there's a number of i'm not even trying to make an excuse for that <laughs> <laughs> but i get pulled up for not listening or i've told you that before yeah, yeah. right but so that, you're in your own little world and yeah doing and amy's like no, I told you 15 times that we've yeah. got a birthday party for one of the kids next Thursday. Yeah. No, she refuses to tell me again and I'll find out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Oh, I, I was nah. just curious. Yeah, no, because, thanks for bringing that up. Um, no, look, you're welcome. Because you just seem such like a successful individual in every area of your life. <laughs> Not at all. Well, can I, can I yeah. uh, change the tact a little? Yeah. I met Amy at Erina mm. on, uh, when was it, Wednesday last week. And uh, I thought, oh, there's Amy in the car park. That's good timing. We've mm. uh, both arrived at the same time. So I gave her a wolf whistle. <laughs> For the millennials that don't know what a wolf whistle is, it's a, a Devo whistle. Anyway, she turned around. It wasn't her. Oh, oh no. dear God. <laughs> so you toxic masculinity, there's, there's this two, guy right there's here. two ways that that can go. I, I can either act as though it wasn't me. Yeah. What'd you do? I said, look, I'm putting my hand up here. I thought that you were my wife. I'm really <laughs> apologetic. Uh, let's let's enjoy the day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, he's not perfect. There you have yeah, it. There it is. Straight away. Where's my sound? <laughs> Sweet. I'm just sorry, thinking. Yeah, tissue. No. Uh, oh. No, nah, don't worry. No, I don't. Oh, I think there's some toilet paper back there. Should have packed a handkerchief. Do you want me to grab <laughs> it? No, no, don't worry. Right. When are you getting your surgery? Are they still a thing? <laughs> handkerchiefs? I saw one the other day, but I don't oh. know. Old people use them. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Do, are you, do you use one? No. No, they're disgusting. Yeah. What do you, what, uh, what do people use? Just a tissue. Mm. It's the environment, I suppose, yeah. a handkerchief. Yeah. Doesn't go out to sea. Or does it? Uh, or does it? But <laughs> I don't want to be carrying crap around in my pocket all day. Yeah, that's, that's me. Um, do you want something? No, nah, uh, fine. Um, when are you getting your surgery? Have you seen the doctor yet? No. Nah, he says I don't need it. Really? But you did see the specialist? No. Oh. No. Did you get a CT scan? No. <laughs> Got some nasal spray. It's fixed everything. <laughs> How much backlash have you had since I've put in nasal uh, spray? A fair bit. You um, have not. 
He wheezes into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> we still don't know that it's me. No, I reckon it was. Um, <laughs> we got one f- bit of feedback from it. One person one. out of 8,000. There was a couple. All of a sudden, I've hey, got we're do, we're doing this. my nose constructed because we think it was me in this one episode and no, one no, no. person from 8,000 people. We are doing the podcast for the one. Yes. One to one. Yeah. <laughs> Poor John. Yeah. He's not perfect. Well, we know that now. Yeah. <laughs> Devo. All right. I'm just thinking in my mind how I'm going to position this episode. Okay. Let's get into it. <laughs> 